0: That's chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary, VTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions,
2: 18 plus. The stars are headed to Nashville. We have the recruiting event of the summer, rather NIL event of the summer, with the ON3 NIL Elite Series. We're gonna sit down with some of the top recruits in the country on this youtube channel so make sure you are subscribed. we're gonna talk a whole lot about college football on this very show but i'm telling you keep your eyes peeled for this channel because we have a ton of in-depth interviews with some of the top guys in the country dylan raiola sammy brown we go down the list here name a bunch of five stars bottom line a lot of big time ballers headed to nashville josh newberg of the inside scoop about to join us here in a few short minutes to break it down and preview that event we're so glad you're here though We talk college football on this very show every single day. Typically, we are live right now, though. We are just on the air. We're premiering this because we're probably at the On 3 NIL Elite Series event as you are watching this. But we're so glad you're here. Kick them up right now. Relax. Relax. Deep inhale, deep exhale, you made it. We're just talking college football here for the next hour or so, so you're free to not worry about whatever you got going on personally, whatever you're doing with. Maybe you have some summer school going on. God bless you. Maybe you got something going on at work. All that can be on pause right now because we're talking ball. So with that being said, like I mentioned, on three NIL Elite Series, going to break that down in its entirety and preview that for you. A lot of big-time players headed to Nashville. Before we get to that, though, We had one of y'all jump in the live chat during our last live show on Thursday, and you posed a phenomenal question. You said, which quarterback is responsible for elevating their team in 2023? And so we're going to break that down, but I want to kind of preface that just a little bit. I'm not going to name Caleb Williams. I'm not naming Jordan Travis because I've seen those guys do it already. Like, I don't have a ton of reservations about, will Caleb Williams be able to bring the juice this year for Southern Cal? I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about guys that maybe we haven't seen it quite as much from just yet. So we'll break that down here in just a few short minutes. Also, the SEC East, we got a ton of question marks. Is it really just Georgia's side of the SEC Is Florida going to maybe bring a little bit more juice this coming season with a new D.C. and more depth? Heck, Kentucky, South Carolina, Tennessee, we got a lot of questions we need answers to, so we're going to break down those questions and what I think the answers could end up being for us when it comes to SEC play. Now, staying in the SEC, at the end of this show, the good people in Auburn, Alabama, y'all have responded how you should respond. If you're a passionate fan base and someone like myself behind the mic says something about your team. Not too long ago, we had a win total segment in the SEC and I gave you one of my feels as it pertains to Auburn and their win total. So I just think we need to have a, a circle up conversation about that. Just think we need to have a talk. I think I think it's it's a thing that we should do as a community. So stay tuned for that at the end of this deal. But like I mentioned... Let's get to the quarterbacks that I think need to step it up in
0: 2023.
2: Uncle Ben from Spider-Man once said, With great power comes great responsibility. The same can be true for a lot of these top quarterbacks in the country. Now, this whole segment is inspired by y'all. And I don't just say that in a cliche way. I mean, last time we were on the air, we had a live show on Thursday, as we are live on every single Tuesday and Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, except for this one right here. But... One of y'all asked a great question. You said, which quarterback is going to be responsible for elevating his team's play in 2023? And so there's a caveat in there. I'm not talking about Jordan Travis. I've seen Jordan Travis elevate his team. I saw what he did last year at Florida State. I've seen what Caleb Williams does at USC. All right, so I don't really want to dive too deeply into those situations. Same thing, Oregon and Bo Nicks. Like, you see where I'm going here? I want to talk about these guys that in my mind are a little bit... Less proven at their certain institution, a little bit less of a known commodity to some degree. So, with that being said, I think the number, well, maybe not number one guy, one of the top guys that has pressure on him to perform and elevate his team in 2023 is none other than Penn State's quarterback, Drew Aller. Now, Drew Aller, five star kid coming out of high school, ton of buzz when he got to state college. And the reason why there's so much pressure on Drew Aller, is because everything else at Penn State, all systems go. Everything else is looking good to go, with maybe the exception of the wide receiver group. And even then, I think Dante Cephas and Keandre Lambert-Smith are going to be dogs for you on the outside. Everything else is built out. James Franklin came on this very show last week and was like, look, I don't know that I've had a defense be this talented and this deep in a long time. You look at that stable they got in the backfield. Those dudes can tote the rock like nobody's business. James Franklin said, I think we got a chance to be better on the offensive line. And last year's team was no slouch either. They only lost two games. They won the Rose Bowl. And everybody around State College expects Penn State to be better. Why? Because Drew Aller is supposed to be that missing piece. They love Sean Clifford. I've said this probably at nauseum on this show. If you've watched for any length of time, get Sean Clifford a freaking statue outside of Beaver Stadium for what he did for Penn State, for how long he was at Penn State. But even with that being said, Drew Aller has got a freaking hose for an arm. He can stretch the field vertically. He adds a little bit more oomph to what you can do offensively. And so Penn State fans, Sean Clifford, you love him. But also, you understand there was a little bit of a, huh, I don't know if he's the guy to get us past Michigan. Hmm, I don't know if he's the guy to get us past Ohio State. He did everything but that last year. Now you plug in a guy like Drew Aller who, just to be real with you, has more natural ability, more of what God gives you than what Sean Clifford had physically. So now there's the excitement of, okay, now's the time. Got the defense, got the backfield, got the offensive line. The time is now at Penn State. So if Drew Aller and Penn State underachieve, the natural response from the Penn State fan base will be pointing the finger at Drew Aller. Whether that's fair or not, I'm just telling you, I think that's the reality you're living in right now in State College. So a ton of pressure on Drew Aller to elevate Penn State and get him over that hump, to beat Michigan and or Ohio State and win a Big Ten title. The feeling around Penn State is the time is now. Really quickly, Make sure you're locked in right here to the On3 YouTube channel, baby. We talk college football every single day. You are a junkie for this sport. You are, because I am too. It takes one to know one, and we talk about it every day here. No exceptions. Right now, it's May, and we're talking ball, and you're watching a YouTube show or you're listening to a college football podcast in May. So we're cut from the same cloth here. So appreciate you joining the party. Glad to have you subscribed. I won't waste too much more time on that. Another individual, another quarterback, another quarterback, following the uncle ben mantra great power great responsibility great pressure for Quinn Ewers on the 40 acres at Texas for Quinn Ewers the difference between him reaching his potential and not reaching his potential is the difference between Texas winning a big 12, a Big 12 title let me say that again the difference for Quinn Ewers in reaching what he can be as a quarterback Is the difference between Texas winning a Big 12 title or not in 2023? And my good people in Austin, we got a lot of y'all tuned in right now. Uh, Love y'all. Glad to have you tuned in right now. But the reality is you expect a Big 12 title because you've been told so long, hey, just be patient. Hey, it's Sark's first year. Be patient. Hey, give it some time for the culture to mature. Then you were told, hey, be patient with Quinn Ewers. Give him some time. Give him some time. It's only his first year as a starter. He should be a freshman. He should be this. He should be that. He's so talented. Give him time. Well, now you're saying, hey, I want my return. I want my return on my investment for what I put into the program as a fan. Maybe you're even involved in the NIL sphere there. Just saying. Maybe you're saying, I want some return for my patience I've had with this whole thing. I've waited a long time. There's no more excuses. And that's a beautiful thing if you're Queen Ewers because you're ready to make good on all that's been said about you in a positive manner, all the trust that's been put in you. But to the same token, if Texas doesn't achieve it, where else do you look? They've got the freaking Monstars on the outside for Texas with A.D. Mitchell and Xavier Worthy. And they still got a stable in the backfield that I think is is slept on, to be real with you. The defense is retooled a little bit, in my opinion. I think the defense is going to be better than a lot of people maybe... Right now in May, believe it to be. What I'm trying to say is there's no more excuses for Quinn Ewers. There's no more, yeah, but. And I've said that a lot on this show, so I won't rehash that. There's nowhere else to point if Texas doesn't achieve what they want to achieve in 23. So for Quinn Ewers, you welcome that pressure because no pressure, no diamonds. Shout out RG3. But that's that's the reality this year. Big 12 title or bust for the Longhorns. Moving right along here. Another quarterback with a lot of pressure on his shoulders and a lot of responsibility to elevate his team. Nick Brake actually said this on our last live show. Shout out Nick Brake, keeper of the queue, proud of Owensboro, Kentucky. He said, listen, man, Tyler Van Dyke, there's been a lot of excuses made for him over the last year. Because I mean, I've been on the front line of that. I have been leading the Tyler Van Dyke. It's not his fault. I've been the front of that fan club right now. Because I saw what Tyler Van Dyke did in 21. I saw what happened in 22, and I said, hmm, I don't believe Tyler Van Dyke's the problem. Mario Cristobal came on this very show, and if we're trying to translate the coach speak, he kind of said the same thing. He said, listen, last year, the system, it wasn't a fit. Nobody's fault, wasn't a fit. Well, Tyler Van Dyke's still there, and a lot of things around him have changed. In fact, just about everything around Tyler Van Dyke has changed but Tyler Van Dyke. New pieces on the O-line, new offensive coordinator Shannon Dawson. Heck, they even got a new DC, which didn't really have anything to do with Tyler Van Dyke. But the point I'm trying to make is with Tyler Van Dyke, when everything else around you changes with the assumption that you're not the problem, if we're going to go and miss a bowl game again, or maybe we don't achieve the level of success we want to for a second year in a row, at what point do we say, hmm, well, you we changed everything else around you. Maybe, Maybe it is on Tyler Van Dyke. Maybe Tyler Van Dyke is actually the issue now again i'm still leading that fan club you're going to have to kick me off that roster if you want me to not support the tyler van dyke is a good quarterback fan club but the reality is i think that for tyler van dyke this is the year where he has to prove a lot of people right he has to prove the staff right prove the fan base right those that do believe in tyler van dyke that he is actually who you saw him to be in 2021 i think it's gonna work Full transparency, I think it is going to work to what degree, remains to be seen. But I think Tyler Van Dyke is the right guy, quarterback for you. Nick Saban, it sounds like, even maybe, wanted him by rumblings of him in Alabama and Gary Furman of Canesport coming on here and saying that was absolutely real. I digress. A lot of pressure on Tyler Van Dyke with all the things that have changed around him that are new around him for him to now be successful. Keeping on that receiving core too. Needs somebody to step up in that wide receiver room for him to make good on that. Peyton Thorne at Auburn is the next guy I want to talk about. Now, Auburn fans, we're going to talk about your Tigers a little bit more, a little bit later in the show. And I've told you, I don't think there's a ton of guessing with Peyton Thorne. You've got a large sample size of him at Michigan State. How does he fit at Auburn? Because notice the conversation that changed around Auburn when you landed Peyton Thorne at quarterback. The conversation was, okay, now, Missed a bowl game last year. Yeah, we know. Robbie Ashford, really talented. Yeah, we know. But there was newfound optimism when Peyton Thorne decided he was going to come to the Plains. And for good reason. You know what you're getting in him. He's a starter. He's had solid production throughout the course of his career. But he's the batteries to this offense at Auburn. Like, make no mistake about it. The offense under Hugh Freeze at Auburn will go as Peyton Thorne goes did a lot through the portal, have one of the top portal classes this cycle, Peyton Thorne being a part of that portal class. But if Peyton Thorne doesn't bring his A game, if he doesn't allow the offense to operate because he's not up to speed or he's making mistakes, he's not consistent, whatever it ends up being, they will go as Peyton Thorne goes. And so all the excitement around Auburn, all the people taking over six and a half wins for Auburn, you believe that because you believe in Peyton Thorne. Like last year's Auburn wasn't a ton to write home about. The transfer portal has upped the level of talent on that roster, but you can't unlock that talent if your quarterback in this RPO style of offense isn't on his P's and Q's. And if he's not on his P's and Q's, you put the defense in a tough position, like it just, it builds on itself. It all builds on Peyton Thorne. If they want to have success in 23, looking right at Peyton Thorne and saying, all right, you're the batteries. We need you to have this whole thing humming. So a lot of pressure on Peyton Thorne, I think in a positive way. Again, pressure is privilege. But Peyton Thorne is going to bear a fair amount of that in 23 at Auburn. Last guy I want to talk about here, DJ Uwe Anglele, Quarterback, transferred from Clemson to Oregon State. And the pressure for him, I believe, is twofold. Like for DJ U, it's a little bit personal. We can all understand that, right? Five-star guy out of high school. One of the top quarterbacks in the country. Gets to Clemson on the heels of the Trevor Lawrence era. And the feeling is, hey man, tons of ability. We all saw what he was at St. John Bosco in Southern California. Let's keep this train rolling. Especially after his first start against Notre Dame. Or maybe that wasn't his first start. One of his first in-game action against Notre Dame. You hear what I'm saying? He flashed against Notre Dame, even in a losing effort. And you were saying the future is bright. And then it didn't really go how you expected it to go if you're a Clemson fan. And I think it was... An unfortunate situation for all parties involved, but DJ Uyengalale says, "You know what? I'm going to Corvallis, finish out my career as a Beaver." And when I say it's personal, I mean, I think DJ U hasn't lost his confidence in, in who he is as a as a passer, as a quarterback. I think that five star kid, that five star quarterback, is still very much so who DJ U is. But with what the pressure is for this year, it's proven himself right because there was an interview he did that some people kind of took and ran with, but basically he said, Hey, listen, I wasn't a huge fan of what we did schematically at Clemson. And like, he has every right to say that you look at what Clemson's offense did last year. And like, Hey, I don't think a lot of people were a fan of what Clemson did schematically last year. I also don't believe that DJU was the problem at Clemson wholeheartedly. At least maybe he wasn't, you know, without fault, but I don't think he was as much to blame as people want to say. But what I'm saying is whenever he goes out and says that, There's now pressure on him from the outside looking in saying, okay, well, you're not in that system anymore. You're not playing in that system. You came to Oregon State knowing what the system was going to be. So now in this new system, perform. That's the personal part of the pressure is proving himself right and making good on his ability that I think a lot of people still believe he has. The other part of this is he's not walking into an operational Oregon State that's like trying to make a bowl game. He's not walking into a team at Oregon State that's still trying to figure out who they are. Like, they won 10 games last year. They won 10 games last year. They're in operation. Yeah, they lost a lot on defense, sure. But I still think Oregon is is pretty dangerous. And I say Oregon. Oregon State. Heck, Oregon's dangerous too. Don't get it twisted. A lot of it rides with DJ Uyungle. Because if they take a step backwards, regardless of the other positions they lost, what's the blame going to be? What are the people going to say? Hey, DJ, you came to Oregon State and we had a good thing going and then it went off the rails when he got here. Regardless of how it looks, I understand. Regardless of if he has no help on the O-line and the defense gives up 40 a game, people are going to point the finger at DJ Uyunglele and say, you're the reason why we fell off the train tracks. Is it fair? No. But that's what, that's what happens when you play quarterback in college football. You get a lot of the praise, get a lot of the blame. But I personally am very excited to see a lot of these guys have the pressure on them to perform. I think it's just a fact of life that pressure can either bring out the best or the worst in you and elite people, elite competitors. I think it brings out the best. So to recap it for you, Drew Aller at Penn State. Everything else is in place at Penn State. All systems go. What are you going to do? For Texas and Quinn Ewers, the time is now. They've built to a year like this. There's no more excuses Quinn Ewers wants it that way. I promise you. He wants it that way. We're going to get to see what he's made of in 2023. We got Tyler Van Dyke at Miami. Everything is new around him. Does he perform in this new situation with the new pieces around him, especially on the offensive line? Peyton Thorne at Auburn. A lot of people hanging their hopes on what he ends up doing at that quarterback spot. The Auburn internally, the locker room, probably has a lot of their hopes based on what he's going to do, how he's going to perform. The offense goes through him. No way around it. And lastly, DJ LA at Oregon State. Got a good thing going. Can he keep that thing rolling? But also, it's personal. I think he's out to prove himself right, as well as a lot of people that have believed in him since the Clemson days. But we'll keep an eye on this. A lot of these top quarterbacks set to deal with a ton of pressure to perform in 23 joining us now on three's national recruiting analyst host of the inside scoop the goat josh newberg josh how we doing brother
1: i'm great fired up about this nil event that we're going to be hosting here in nashville tennessee
2: dude we're, we're kind of doing some time travel right now because we're recording this on a monday and it's airing on a tuesday and when the people are seeing this When it's hitting the podcast feed, you and I are likely already sitting down and talking ball with guys like Sammy Brown, Jeremiah Smith, Dylan Raiola, number one player in the country, Dylan Stewart, like a ton of these ballers are headed to Nashville. And I just want to kind of preface this whole event, the whole on three NIL elite series event, because there's an NIL component to it. Obviously, that's the the point of this whole event. But the insight we're going to get to gain from these kids on their recruitment is going to be massive. What prospect fascinates you the most coming into this event that we're going to sit down with?
1: All of them, but mainly Dylan Rayola, I think is really interesting because he's just coming off of his commitment. So he's at a point in the process where he can maybe be a little reflective on things and and maybe be a little bit open with us. But from more of an overarching view, I mean, I'm excited for the event because it's something that while NIL has been around for two years, it's Still a little uh, undercover, Mm -hmm. behind the scenes, and it shouldn't be. It's completely legal by NCAA standards. Name image likeness has been around. We're going to be entering the second, third summer now of NIL. So what can we learn from some of these guys? Because we're not talking about... A prospect, you know, a three-star, middling, middle-of-the-road kind of guy who might have some NIL opportunities down the road if he gets to college and he performs well and he becomes a contributor and, you know, blah, 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 blah. The guys that we're going to be dealing with, they are in it. They are living it. They are on the edge of all the new things that are happening in NIL. I'm eager to hear the realities of it. You know, we hear so much, so much rumors, but what are the realities of it? Like what are some of the good things that NIL does for student athletes? What are some of the ba- downfalls? What are some of the lies that are told? What are some of the benefits of of this new NIL era? I just want to hear from top recruits that are actually living some of the things that we talk about so often on our channels and really the whole country talks about NIL and we're going to have an opportunity to sit down with some of the most knowledgeable people in the business, some of the top recruits in the, in the industry and it's going to be a massive learning experience for everybody there.
2: Really quickly, make sure you're subscribed right here. Josh Newberg, the man, the myth legend, already told you national recruiting analyst for on three, he's got a show that comes out multiple times a week. The inside scoop going to keep you in the know for all things involving the lifeblood of college football that is recruiting. But Josh, you hit it on the head, dude. Like, it's a thing that when it first started the NIL, that is a lot of people were kind of bashful. And it just kind of was a thing that wasn't, you know, super out there for a lot of people. And now it's getting to the point where us aired on three, we got the NIL valuations for a lot of these kids that are, to my understanding and to everybody's understanding here, like pretty much as close as we can be to, to dictating these kids' value when it comes to the NIL market. And a lot of these kids too are, I think, starting to realize that you can be more and more outspoken about you know, how that impacts your recruitment. It is a thing that factors in. Heck, it should factor in. If you have money that can, you know, change your, your current standing in life, like, of course, that should factor into your college decision. Now, should it be the whole decision? Should it be the whole, you know, piece of the pie? Whole other conversation, but I'm excited to talk to these kids as well, Josh. You mentioned Dylan Riola, and he is one of several. Georgia Bulldog commits. He's one of two quarterback commits for the dogs headed to Nashville. Is this going to just be like a recruiting playground for some of those cats? Because I'm thinking you got several of your future teammates at this event, and then also you got some of the top targets like KJ Bolden, Jeremiah Smith.
1: You expect the dogs to be active on the recruiting trail even at this event, Josh? Sammy Brown. Sammy Brown. (laughs) I mean, the list goes, Jeremiah Smith, the list goes on. I didn't really think of it in terms of that. I think that a lot of the prospects are going to come here just to learn, but one of the unintended consequences of getting a lot of great players around each other is that peer-to-peer recruiting that takes place. It's inevitable. Anytime these guys get together, because they are friends, they've come up on the 7-on-7 circuit, they've been to camps, they've been to combines together, some since maybe they were in 8th grade, maybe even younger than that. So anytime that you get these great players on campus, they're able to – They're able to bond a little bit more and more with each other because they do kind of breathe a rare air. There's only so many five stars. There's only so many four stars. But there's tens of thousands of high school athletes, but only a handful kind of deal with or go through some of the trials and tribulations that players in the top 50, players in the top 30 go through. So I do think that there's going to be some peer-to-peer recruiting going on. I mean, that's not why the event's taking place, but it's inevitable.
2: I mean, peer-to-peer recruiting has to be up there with your relationship with your coaching staff. I mean, these are guys that you're going to bleed, sweat, and cry with throughout the rest of your three to five years in one of the most formative times of your life. So I would absolutely expect, just like you were mentioning, like it's inevitable that if I'm Dylan Raiola and maybe I'm sitting next to Sammy Brown in one of the sessions and I'm maybe like nudging him a couple times and saying, hey, come, come with me to Athens. Uh, Dylan Stewart, yeah, number one player in the country. You and I are going to sit down with him. Uh, that interview will be on this channel, so make sure you're subscribed. What are you hoping to learn from him in regards to his recruitment?
1: Well, he's taken a lot of trips so far, uh, mostly unofficial, and he's going to hit the road in June for four official visits. He said that he would like to make a decision before his senior year, whether that comes in early September or late August. Nothing set in stone with that, but it does sound like – he is narrowing the field and coming down to a decision. Now, what I want to know from Dylan Stewart is what it's been like. What what trip unofficially has stood out to him? What are some of the things that he is hearing about NIL on the recruiting trail? Is he being fed some lies? Is, can he can he kind of see through it and understand where the truth comes from? And what are some of these opportunities that maybe teams are offering? I think Dylan Stewart's in a unique position, not only because he's number one overall, but he plays the edge position, a premier position much like Dylan Riola on the offensive side of the ball you look at what goes on on the trenches and the defensive side of the ball and that's kind of where a lot of teams are allocating their Nil money whether that be in the transfer portal whether that be uh, out of high school Nil is focused on a lot of the big men in the trenches and Dylan Stewart number one edge overall I can't wait to get here for him to get here and us to be able to pick his brain on his recruitment only about two two and a half months left of his recruitment
2: kind of coming down to the wire there for a one dylan stewart i'm fascinated to see what his conversation is around that timeline because it it sounded like that was gonna be the case but you just you never know with the wild world that is recruiting things tend to change at the drop of a hat so i'm excited to talk to him josh now another edge five star plus player colin simmons he's got some business lined up if you're reading the tea leaves there he's visiting lsu in november for that game against Florida. So you would expect maybe it goes close to that early signing period. But I was really fascinated, Josh. He's got LSU for a game visit and he's got Bama for their game week two against Texas. Now, Texas also obviously very much in the hunt for Colin Simmons. Is there any extra wow factor that goes into a a official visit during a game week in your mind. What's the significance of that for Colin Simmons?
1: There's extra wow factor just in Colin Simmons, in his recruitment, (laughs) in his highlight tape, he is the wow factor. So for him to come in and talk NIL, I'm really excited. I know that's not what you asked me, but I'm just excited to talk to Colin Simmons about it. Now, Colin Simmons was on the inside scoop a couple weeks ago and to your point about his visit coming in the fall, yeah, I don't think Colin Simmons is in decision mode. When so we're going to contrast his recruitment to a guy like Dylan Stewart. I expect Colin Simmons, who's far from a decision, maybe to come in a little bit lighter, you know, a little, a little, some jokes, some laughter, because he's not narrowing the focus. It gets hard when you've got to eliminate teams. You're calling up some great programs, some great coaches, and saying, Coach. Thanks, but no thanks. And and I think when you start doing that, and I don't think Colin Simmons has yet, I think it kind of makes things a little bit more real, a little bit more serious. You are making a monster decision. And a recruit always comes to that point where recruiting is fun and you're just soaking it all up. You're listening to everybody. You're joyous. And then things start to get real. When you feel that the ink is about to hit the paper, You and you are making a life choice, things get a little bit more serious. And I don't think Colin Simmons is there yet, but he's going to be. And I'm looking forward to just talking to him. He's another one of those big trench guys, premier position. And I know you said Alabama and LSU, but I had Jerry Hamilton from Inside Texas on the Inside Scoop just last week. Do not sleep on Texas. The in-state team, you know, uh, Colin Simmons plays at Powerhouse, Duncanville High School there in Texas. So don't sleep on Texas. But I do agree with you, LSU has been trending throughout the spring.
2: I mean, Jerry Hamilton came out and said as so much as, Hey, Colin Simmons is in that category of like a must get for the Longhorns, and I think what you said was right on the money, Josh. Where Colin Simmons is kind of in like this dating phase of his recruitment. Like it's fun to go fun. on dates and get to know each other and figure out, you know, if you're compatible or not. But then there comes a time where it's like, hey, what are we? We got a DTR this thing, and it seems like Colin Simmons is enjoying the dating phase. But eventually, there will be that DTR portion of the relationship. Uh, is Colin Simmons a must get for tech, for, for Texas, Josh?
1: Yeah. He's not going to make or break the class, mm-hmm. but when you take the temperature of recruiting in, it, at Texas, yes, I think for this class, he's very important. He's massively important. Texas has recruited well, obviously, a quarterback. Uh, Micah Hudson at wide receiver. You know They got some guys on the board that are really solid, but the trenches is where it's going to be won and lost for Coach Sark, and he needs to land Colin Simmons in this class.
2: Josh, two more guys I want to talk to you about, one being Sammy Brown. Yep. fresh fresh off the official visits to Tennessee, along with some other high-profile unofficial visits, where does his recruitment stand right now? Sounds like a lot of buzz around Georgia and Clemson. Can Tennessee kind of get their foot in the door here?
1: You know, I think Tennessee did get their foot in the door by getting him in on this official visit, but when we look in the rearview mirror after the month of June's over, and he's taken official visits to Clemson, and he's gone to Georgia, and he's gone to Ohio State, I think we're going to kind of look back at this and say, oh, yeah. I remember he did visit Tennessee. While it was a great opportunity for them to get him on campus, I think Sammy Brown's recruitment, the five-star linebacker out of Georgia, is going to come down to either Clemson or Georgia. I think Ohio State is maybe the sleeper pick. I think Tennessee – hey, look, J.D., there's teams from California to Florida trying to get him on campus for these officials, and he settled on four or five. And the ones that he took are massively important. I think – Tennessee's in the hunt, but when we look back on it, when he's ready to make this decision in early to mid July, I think the Tennessee visit is just going to be a little, a little far back in that rearview mirror. And Sammy Brown, I think ultimately come down to two teams Georgia or Clemson.
2: This is one of those guys, Josh, where you and I talked about it earlier. A lot of Georgia commits kind of rubbing their hands together, looking at Sammy Brown and saying, oh, yeah, we're going to be in your ear all week long about coming to Athens with us. Uh, This is also a big recruitment for a lot of the barbers in Clemson, South Carolina, and Athens, Georgia. I'm sure they're also watching this one with bated breath, so we'll get more intel for them on the potential status of that mullet for Sammy Brown. Last guy I want to talk to you about, Josh. We're talking about Georgia targets. Ohio State commit number one wide receiver in the 24 cycle, Jeremiah Smith. He's committed to Ohio State. I just said it, but also still has some visits to be taken. The dogs are in the mix there. Florida's in the mix there. He's got a visit to Penn State in the mix there. What's the latest on Jeremiah Smith, and what are we hoping to learn from sitting down with him?
1: Well, if you ask Jeremiah Smith what's going on, he'll just tell you, hey, he's just checking out the process. This is just part of his decision. He's committed to Ohio State, but, you know, hey, this is the recruiting process, right? Uh, I don't know. Jeremiah Smith... Was at Georgia last weekend. He's going to be at Florida for an official visit this weekend. He's going to probably take a a couple more official visits. Wouldn't be surprised if he ends back up at Georgia. Wouldn't be surprised if he ends up taking an official to Florida State. Maybe even Miami. They've been involved with him as well. He says he's solidly committed to Ohio State. That's something that we're certainly going to ask him when he gets there. And hey, as a wide receiver, it's really hard to turn down Ohio State. But as the number one wide receiver in America, he has some leverage. And if he wants to go check out some other schools while he you know, waits until this recruiting cycle kind of carries on, hey, he can punch his ticket anywhere he wants to go. There's not much Ohio State can really say. Jeremiah Smith, as I said, is saying the right things when, when asked about his commitment. He says, I'm committed. I'm just checking out some of these options, some of these teams that are recruiting me just in case and there's nothing wrong with that he has every right to do so but if you're an ohio state fan and you remember that dylan riola also decommitted from ohio state and lands at georgia and georgia one of the teams that are recruiting him and dylan Riola's is a five star he's the number one quarterback in america you know there is some reason to be concerned not saying that i would put him on flip watch just yet but jeremiah smith hey He's looking at his options. We're going to see him at the recruiting event, at the NIL event, and we're going to ask him just about that.
2: No, no, we're we're, we're still together. We're still exclusive, but I'm. I mean, I might play the field just to, just a little bit. So, I mean, I think it draws at least the conversation. But I, I'm with you, Josh. I think he's well within his right to take the visits and. Go through the recruiting process. I mean, he's going to be a rising senior. He's a rising senior. Like, he's still got his whole senior ahead of him, and this is a big decision for him. Josh, I appreciate all your time. Before we get you out of here, anybody else we should keep an eye on that's headed to this On 3 NIL Elite Series?
1: Well, late addition was Brandon Baker, the Ooh. number one offensive tackle in America. Anytime we can get a number one player at their position, especially what we've been talking about with the trenches, so like a Colin Stewart, like a Dylan Stewart, like a Colin Simmons or a Dylan Stewart, Brandon Baker has that much value on the offensive side of the ball. So I think it'd be interesting to hear he's from California. You know, are any brands approaching him? What does he look for in the NIL process or in a school? So yeah, getting Brandon Baker all the way from California to fly into Nashville, Tennessee, I think that'll be really cool to see.
2: From modern day high school, which has a pipeline to USC. So that'll be a lot of fun to sit down with him. Josh, Appreciate all your time. Y'all, if you haven't yet, follow Josh on Twitter. Subscribe right here. Watch the Inside Scoop. Do it for yourself. Do it Do it for your health to stay in the know for the lifeblood that is college football, that is recruiting. Josh, appreciate you, man. We'll do this live tomorrow. All right. See you soon, JD. Again, that's Josh Newberg. Best in the business, man. I'm telling you, you want to make sure you're following him. You really want to make sure you're subscribed right here because his show, The Inside Scoop, keeping you up to date for all things college football recruiting. All the time. Happens on this channel. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of it. That's going to be a lot of fun, man. I'm telling you, sitting down with some of the top prospects in the country, we're going to learn a lot. Another reason to be subscribed. Quick shout out to my people. And you know what I'm going to say right now, my people on the podcast. Whether you're on Apple, whether you're on Spotify, whether we're hanging out right now because you got some windshield time, you're bored as heck at work, and you just you just need a little college football in your life. You came here to the hard camp, and we're so glad you did. Can't stress it enough. Thank you for being a part of this. Make sure you leave a five-star review, a comment, all that. We appreciate you for that. All right, so thank you. Quick, uh, Quick note to the podcast. I'll probably throw this out again live at some point because I want to get y'all's input in real time, but the podcast especially because y'all are really getting the audio side of this. What are your thoughts on the intro music? Intro music, I think, is solid. The way that I view our podcast is very similar to how Marcus Freeman views his program at Notre Dame. Challenge everything, right? Challenge everything. Don't get it twisted. The intro, the intro music, it bumps. It goes hard. But I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. Would you want us to experiment with some new intro music? Do you say, hey, don't touch it. We got a good thing going. Just curious to hear. Not making any quick decisions, just curious to hear your thoughts. So podcast go and leave a comment you're watching on youtube leave a comment yeah food for thought all right let's keep this thing rolling here the sec east is a gauntlet national champion has come out of the sec east (laughs) sec east the last two years yes Georgia's going to be georgia or so we think we'll talk more about that in a second but what are the questions that we need answers to to decide this side of the sec Let's talk about it right now. I alluded to it a second ago. The Georgia Bulldogs, man, are they going to win a third national title? Are they going to win the SEC East for the second year in a row? Well, here's where that hangs on for me. Are our assumptions of Georgia as solid as we think they are? You say, JD, what do you mean? Well, What I mean is I think we're kind of assuming a lot of things about Georgia that we believe to be true, but we actually don't know without a shadow of a doubt are going to be true. Example, Mike Bobo the new OC. They're giving him the keys to this offense. They're giving him the keys to this, this offense that was humming a season ago, scoring over 40 points a game. We're assuming the offense is going to be as dynamic as it was a season ago. Are we sure in that assumption? Are we correct in that assumption? It's going to be a big piece of what Georgia does because like I said on previous shows, Georgia is showing attention to the offensive side of the ball, especially on the recruiting trail. To win in modern college football, by nature of the teams that made the playoff last year, who all scored over 40 points a game, you got to score at an elite rate Does Mike Bobo equip them to continue to score how they scored and be dynamic, how they were dynamic and balanced, how they were balanced a season ago under Todd Munkin. The assumption is yes, but are we solid on that? It needs to be seen. Carson Beck, I've told you, man, I went so far to say I think he's a sleeper Heisman guy. I really do. I think he's going to put up stats. I assume he's going to step in there and deal like we saw him do in the spring game, but are we sure? Are we correct in that assumption? Because Stetson Bennett now, he got a lot of flack for his time at Georgia. Good news is he may come back to Georgia at some point in time and get that degree. We love you, Stetson. But he did a lot for this team. I mean, he really, there were multiple times last year for Georgia where he was the, the differentiating factor for them offensively, get him in the right plays and make him big time throws. Like Stetson Bennett was that dude. Kirby Smart said after the national title game, I was there sitting in the media room where he said he's got GOAT status in Athens, Georgia. You want to fight somebody? Don't fight me. Fight Kirby Smart on that statement, that is. I think he's going to step in there and deal, but if he doesn't, that changes things for Georgia. So that's a question mark. That's an assumption that we're all making. We're assuming the defense reaches the talent potential they have on that side of the ball. That's been the calling card for them, but they still lose some pieces. Still lose some key pieces, especially up front. How does that look? No more Keely Ringo. No more Jalen Carter. What does that look like? I'm just curious. I don't think it's going to be a thing where they fall off the face of the earth, but this is an assumption that still has to happen. Last one. We're assuming Tennessee is the only test on their schedule. That's the assumption. They got other teams that I think could push them. Maybe there's more than one test on there. I remember what Missouri did last year. I remember what Kentucky did last year. Those were games that were maybe you know, a little more entertainment value than a lot of people in Athens, Georgia would have liked. A lot of assumptions, but here's the deal. If our assumptions are as solid as we think they are, Georgia is going to win the SEC again, and Georgia will be in the college football playoff and be a real contender, probably a real favorite frontrunner, to win the national title for the third year in a row. So that's Georgia. Really quickly, make sure you subscribe right here to the On3 YouTube channel. We talk ball every single day. You're a sicko for this game, and we appreciate you for that because we're sickos over here too. So we're two peas in the pod. Make sure you subscribe. We love y'all. Also, follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram, at JDPakell. Okay, so thank you so much for that. Thank you to everybody who's tuned in currently during the premiere. Make sure you like the video on your way out. It just helps us. We got a streak right now of 100 likes on our last two live shows. I might go back further than that, but I'm just saying, let's keep the streak alive here, right? Enough shameless plug. Tennessee, my question for them as it pertains to this SEC East race, the beasts of the East, do we get Orange Bowl Joe Milton? Is it really just reload at the quarterback position for Josh Heupel? Because Hennan Hooker was special last year, man. I mean, he propelled them. And then he ends up getting hurt tragically. Joe Milton steps in. And in that Orange Bowl, on an enormous stage, just went to work, dude. Like, we saw Joe Milton look like one of the best quarterbacks in the country in that game. Now, that's a small sample size. That's one game. And I believe that we will get Orange Bowl Joe Milton this coming season, or at least a version of that. But if we don't, that changes everything for Tennessee. Because they are a run-first offense, but a lot of what they do goes through the quarterback. From getting them in the right play to hitting the open shot to running the offense at the tempo they want to run it at. Like they put a lot on this quarterback's plate. And no shade to the good folks in Knoxville, but we're on the same page about the secondary. The secondary's got to get better. I think it will get better. That's probably the other major question you have for your vols if you're a Tennessee fan. But even so, secondary wasn't great last year, even though the statistics were a little bit skewed. But still. Why were you as successful record-wise as you were last year? Because the offense, because Hennon Hooker was dealing. Does Joe Milton deal in the same fashion? Is he on the same playing field as what Hennon Hooker did last year? He was in the Orange Bowl. Do we get to see it? Because if he doesn't, then the pressure goes back to the defense, like I was just talking about. You need the defense to maybe bring a little bit more to the party than you were originally asking. That's my question for Tennessee. If you're not scoring 40-plus, which would require Joe Milton to deal, maybe you feel differently about yourself. I think he will. Just so we're all on the same page, I think he will be really good. How long does that take? It's going to be a deciding factor for Tennessee as they chase an SEC title. Now, Florida is probably one of the greatest unknowns in college football heading into 2023. A lot of people think they know what Florida's going to be. Vegas has got them at this five and a half win total. That's fine. My real question for them, though, Is there actually more depth on the defensive side of the ball? Now, they allowed 30 points a game last year. That ain't good. And the people that watch ball, people that watch Florida, you know it wasn't because they didn't have good players starting. Was it an All-American All-11? Not necessarily. But they still had some good players. But when we saw them wear down was later in games. We had Jervin Dexter playing like, I don't know how many snaps, way more than a defensive lineman should be playing. What I'm trying to say is in the SEC, you got to have some depth defensively. Florida didn't last year. We saw what happened. So for Florida, we've heard a lot this offseason about how they have improved the depth, how Austin Armstrong has improved that defense. And a lot of people want to talk about the quarterback position, The quarterback position, I believe it's going to be Graham Mertz, so we'll talk about Graham Mertz right now. Graham Mertz's job will be substantially easier if he knows that defense has his back. That defense will have a much easier time having his back if they have a couple of platoons they can plug and play with. And they can hold offenses to a lower total of scoring. Because then Graham Murch doesn't have to press when he gets out there. Then they can actually run the ball and let their big dogs eat with Montrell Johnson and Trevor Etienne. Like You've heard me talk about that before. It's kind of sounding familiar right now. Yes, the quarterback position is a huge question. But a lot of what they ask of that quarterback is going to be dictated on the situation of the game. Situation of the game is going to be dictated by what you have defensively. So the depth of the defense. That's the key for me for Florida. If it's improved, watch out now for the Gators. I... I seemingly, after one year, which is wild, am in the minority that Billy Napier is a good coach. (laughs) It feels that way, at least. If it's not, get in the chat, get in the comment section to let me know. A lot of people seem to be down on Billy Napier after one year, which, first of all, shame on y'all for making such a quick decision on a coach. And if I'm wrong, then shame on me. But I don't think I am on Billy Napier. So depth on defense, very, very crucial. Now, South Carolina, here's my question. How's this? Who are you? (laughs) Right? A real, real specific question for South Carolina. Who are you? Because I saw multiple versions of the Gamecocks last year. I did. You did too. We saw them lose to Florida and look like they had no idea what they were doing offensively. And then we saw them play against Tennessee and against Clemson and absolutely break the scoreboard. Which South Carolina are we getting this year? Because now you're going into year three for Shane Beamer. And I think that they have an identity and I'm excited for them to show it to the rest of college football. But the unfortunate reality is culture and your win loss total don't always go hand in hand. But I think that they were able to really do some phenomenal things game plan wise and just show with me the better team that Saturday against those two top 10 opponents. My question is, is that who we see for the duration of the season Or is that just what we saw at the end of last year, and then we have to kind of recalibrate our expectations for South Carolina? Because South Carolina, I think, has proven they can beat anybody. Like, they can play with you any Saturday you want. Doesn't matter where we're at. We'll play in the parking lot. That's how I think South Carolina feels. It's a dangerous approach for the rest of the SEC, to be real with you. Spencer Rattler's got a lot under the hood. When he's cooking, he's one of the best in the country. Yes, I said that. When he's cooking... I didn't say he's just pulling up and he's going to drop the top and be the best quarterback when he pulls up to the game, but I am saying this. I do think when when Spencer Rattler's on, he's on. Ask Tennessee about it. No shade to Tennessee fans, but you saw what he did. Juice Wells, he's a dog now on the outside. you going to have to deal with him. The subplot to this that's going to really determine how good South Carolina is and kind of answers the question, who are you? Yes, Spencer Rattler's got to be in his bag. Yes, Juice Wells has got to be that guy and dominate how we expect him to dominate. Defensive line. Heck, the front seven the defense can't allow 200 yards rushing a game not in the sec not week in and week out in the sec you can't ask your offense to score every single drive they didn't ask that last year but like you hear the sentiment of what i'm saying it's big boy football in the sec south carolina was more than up to the task the last couple of years i just want to see if they're able to hold their water a little bit better on that side of the ball because if they can and spencer Rattler's cooking. And the offense is rolling now under Dow Loggins. Like, hey, watch out for South Carolina. They've proven they can beat you. They've proven they're not one to be truffled with. Shout out Michael Scott. Now, last thing we want to talk about here is the Kentucky Wildcats. My question for them is, what's the Devin Leary effect? I am not in the business of hot takes. I think that is just, quite frankly, people throw out takes for likes and clicks, whatever. Like, I think that's garbage. I think this sport is way too important to a lot of us, and we hold it too closely to throw that out. I say this because I mean this. I think that Devin Leary has a chance to be a better leader of this offense than Will Levis was. And what I mean by that is Will Levis, as talented as he is, and why he may be a more gifted thrower of the football, double-digit turnovers, double-digit interceptions, both of his last two seasons. So for Devin Leary, you take better care of the football and you get it to these playmakers like, hey, we could be in business now. We saw Devin Leary flash at NC State in 21. We'll see what he does this coming season. 22, he was kind of dinged up and it was a little bit of a, a tough deal. But I'll just say this, man. Kentucky's sneaky. If you pick him to win the East or not, that's fine. But a lot of people want to forget that final score against Georgia, That team that just absolutely drugged TCU in the national title, back-to-back national champs, was 16-6 was the final score of that game. 16-6. Now, it was ugly. It was bad weather. It was at Kentucky. They'll have to go to Athens this year. I'm just saying, man. I'm not picking them to upset Georgia, but I am just saying watch out for Kentucky because Devin Leary, I think, could up the level of the offense. Got to replace some production on defense. But Tavian Robinson, Dane Key, Barry and Brown, three-headed monster that a lot of the country just doesn't necessarily know about yet because not enough people watch Kentucky. But those three dudes, man, especially Barry and Brown, I'd put him up there with anybody in the country, man. I'll tell you what, as an all-purpose player, he is a home-run threat every time he touches the ball. Kickoff return, catching it out wide as a possession guy, going deep like Barry and Brown now. Get to know the name if you don't already, because he's going to be a problem for you. Now, I'll say this. Didn't mention Missouri. Didn't mention Vanderbilt. I have reservations on Missouri. I just do. Offense scored 24 points a game last year, and we don't know who the quarterback's going to be. Okay? Vanderbilt, Clark Lee, I think he's going to build that thing. I think they're going to really start to try and build from the ground up. I don't think it's going to be a thing where they go to the portal and and they go and grab these guys and just overhaul. They got Prince Khali, who was a five-star at one point in time. That's a big get for them. Don't get it twisted. I'll just say this about Missouri and about Vanderbilt. The SEC is a lot like Australia. You walk around off of the beaten path, start messing around in places you're not as familiar with. There's stuff in there that could end you. There's stuff crawling around. If you don't bring your best on that Saturday, that could end your dreams. I could take care of you. It's a bit of a morbid way to look at it, but I'm just saying, while I'm not picking Missouri or Vandy to win the SEC East, you don't want to take them seriously one Saturday? Stuff can happen. So we'll leave it on that, but Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, South Carolina, Kentucky, I got questions for all of them in the SEC East. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. A lot of fun to watch those teams get after it rest of the way. Again, appreciate everybody tuned in via the podcast. I know you got a lot going on. I know that you said, hey, listen, I would love to tune in during the premiere of this. I'd love to be locked in at 11 a.m. Eastern on a Tuesday and on a Thursday. Reality is I got a meeting. Reality is I got to babysit the kids. Hey, J.D., I got summer school. God bless your soul. You got summer school. We're with you in this, all right? We're going to get through it together. But we appreciate being tuned on podcast program people being locked on the podcast. It matters to you. It's got to matter to you. Anything in life, it's got to matter to you. Nick Breakkeeper of the queue. we are not doing a You Join the Party segment today, so I just want to shout out Nick Break holding it down right now, whether you're listening on podcasts, whether you're watching us on YouTube, making a lot of great things happen, making everything you see here happen, everything you hear here happen. So, Nick, we appreciate you, brother. Let's get to this here, because I think this is a portion of the show where... Are, are people that are really in it for the long haul or are in it right now. And I just think we need to have a conversation. Because I did a segment, rather we did a segment, excuse me, we did a segment a couple weeks ago and we gave out some of our best bets in the SEC. And I told you, listen, I think Auburn, six and a half, I think that's rich. I think it's just a little bit too sweet for me. I like six is what I said. I like six more than seven. I also said I would not be surprised if they get the over on that. But true to what I would expect from a passionate fan base, y'all went to the corner, which is the Auburn fan forum, the, the Auburn fan site. And that that's the forum within that fan site at Auburn Live. And y'all got after it. And credit to you. I went through, I looked through it and y'all let me have it. And I appreciate you for that because that means that you care about your team. means you support your team. means you believe in your team. And it means that you have passion. It means that you're passionate about your team. So with all that aside, we need to have a conversation because I think that there was a little bit of a, maybe a misconception. Don't get it twisted. I'm not backtracking. I'm not backing off what I said about Auburn. I still think the win total for them that I like is six wins. If you disagree, that's well within your right. God bless you. But I think that that opinion that I have, that's that's where I put my money For some reason, there was the interpretation that I thought Auburn wasn't any good. Like I just want to get that out in the open. So why did I pick them to go under six and a half? Let's start there. Why did I say that? The assumption is the SEC is freaking brutal. (laughs) If, If we can call a spade a spade, the SEC is going to be a gauntlet. Auburn has to play a lot of the top teams in the SEC. Okay, that's a fact. Other part of this, Auburn last year, there's a reason Hugh Freeze is the head coach now. There's a reason why Brian Harson is no longer on the sideline for Auburn. Why? They weren't getting it done. Recruiting. People will say things about culture, which I'm not in that building, so I don't pretend to know. There was a lot that you weren't happy with last year. Auburn missed a bowl game last year. Okay, Can we just be real about that? Missed a bowl game last year. So they're in an acclimation period, in a revamp period. Whatever kind of verbiage you want to put to it, they're revamping. Now, Hugh Freeze in a short time there, has looked at the portal, rubbed his hands together and said, give me that. Went and got one of the top portal classes in the country, including guys like Peyton Thorne, who's probably going to be your starting quarterback. So why I have them under six and a half is because I'm placing a bet. I'm not going off of like the feel or what I think they could do. I'm placing a bet. And I think the SEC is brutal. And I think the roster is going to take a second to formulate. If you disagree, again, God bless you. That is your right to do that. That's where the bet would lie. Now I have more thoughts on this, though. I don't think that's where we should stop this conversation. Because some people said you think it's going to take an acclamation period. You think Auburn sucks? I never said Auburn sucks. Like, let's let's all relax a little bit. Make sure you're subscribed right here. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. Make sure you follow me on Instagram at Jody All right, appreciate you for that. So let's get back to this. And I even honestly I hesitated doing this segment because I've had a lot of people. Within this industry that I respect, say hey, don't read the comments, don't don't listen to the outside noise. If it's negative, block it out. I think there's some validity to that, but I also think there's a little bit of this bond that we share with y'all being the audience of this show and y'all being this, this community that we got to just have a conversation. You know, families fight, brothers fight. We got we got got to talk about it. All right. So the bet was factoring in what I just told you about. Now, I've also been very vocal about this. Again, I'm not backtracking. I'm just being real with you. Here's the deal. Auburn's ceiling is probably nine wins. That's probably what's going on right now. So for Auburn to say you're anywhere from six wins to nine wins, that's improvement. So what am I saying? I'm saying Auburn's going to be better than they were a year ago. I'm saying I think Peyton Dorn makes your team better. I'm pro-Auburn. <laughs> like, I don't know how to be, you know, Political about this, like I, I, or diplomatic about this, I guess is a better word to say. I don't want to be political about this. You've, you understand the portal class is what a lot of this is banking on, right? A lot of talent. A lot of talent creates a pretty high ceiling, and it creates a higher floor. The floor I put at six, the ceiling's somewhere around nine. It's a great way to live. I would say this, can we take a step back about Auburn? And I would say that I think that when you look at Auburn in the long term, I believe in Hugh Freeze. The whole point of doing this segment is so that we're not on record. We're not confused about where we fall in Auburn. We believe in Auburn. I think it's going to take some time for the roster to, to figure it out and mesh. Yeah, you got a quarterback post spring football. I think it might take a sec. Is that fair to say? I think so. You look at Auburn, though, long term, Hugh Free is a guy who knows how to win in the SEC, knows how to recruit in the SEC knows how to recruit the transfer portal, knows how to work with quarterbacks, knows how to score on offense. Like there's a lot to like about Hugh Freeze, a lot to like about Auburn going forward in the SEC. Also, I'll say this long term, I think their resources at Auburn have now been unlocked with the right guy at head coach. A lot of people feel that way as well. I think Auburn now has a chance to make some noise in the future. So I lean towards under six and a half wins and I know a lot of y'all disagree and I love you for it and I'm gonna hear about it and I can't wait. But I just want to make sure we're on the same page here. Under six and a half wins? Yeah, that's where I lean. Do I think that's the ceiling for Auburn, though? Absolutely not. Auburn is a much better team with Hugh Freeze now as, as the head coach. They're a better team with Peyton Thorne as the starting quarterback. The possibilities are way up here for Auburn. For those of you listening on podcast, put my hand above my head. All right? They're high at Auburn. The possibilities are very positive. But I just felt we had to have that conversation. So, I appreciate y'all listening. I appreciate y'all letting me get on my soapbox there for a minute. A little bit of an unconventional show today. I understand that. But here's the deal we improvise, we adapt, and we overcome. We play the next play, we do the next right thing. That's how we operate this show. That's how we slot the show. Again, The reason why we're doing this right now, the reason why you're seeing this as a premiere is because Josh Newberg and I are sitting down with some of the top recruits in the country right now at the On 3 NIL Elite Series. So keep an eye right here on what's going to be going down with that. We're going to have a show coming out here shortly with a lot of recruiting intel and a lot of those top interviews that are a part of that show. We'll talk to Chad Simmons. We're going to have a lot of great content on this channel for you from that event. So make sure you're subscribed right here and make sure you're locked in for all of that. All right. That's it for us here at The Hard Count. We appreciate y'all rocking with us. We love y'all. We appreciate y'all following me on Twitter and Instagram at JDPakel. Great way for us to interact, man. Again, we appreciate y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time. 18- plus.